You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Well, good morning. We're in a series at the minute, which I began last week, called Refocus. And really, it's a chance for us at the beginning of this year, at the beginning of this decade, to refocus our hearts on Jesus, to refocus on his calling in our lives, to reset, perhaps, to try and keep in step with him and adjust, perhaps, our position so that we are moving in his direction for his purposes. Because we want to take hold of what he has prepared for us, what he has for us, and we want to have a really clear understanding about why the church is moving in the way that it's moving, why it's going in the direction that it's going, um, and we want to move forward together. That's really the heart of the next few weeks. We want to move forward together in the same direction for the same purpose in unity. And last week I spoke uh, a little bit about fighting the, the fight of the faith, the good fight, and about being fighting fit and, and what that looks like for us, that we need to take responsibility in our own lives and, and grasp a hold of eternal life and, and grapple with our own salvation, grapple with our own flesh, our, our sinful nature, our, our own desires, grapple to give Jesus time and room in our lives because when he has the place of preeminence in our lives, everything changes and it's glorious. Now, I've come across a lot of people in my 42 years, which I know some of you are like, oh, he's a babe. <laughs> in my 42 years, I've come across a lot of people that would say that they are Christians, even that they love Jesus, but, and they may see themselves as disciples, but they don't want anything more to do with the church. Now, perhaps you've come across people like that as well. And I wonder, just this is a rhetorical question, don't answer me now, but I wonder what you, you would say are the top reasons that people would have for leaving the church or rejecting the church or leaving Christianity or rejecting Christianity. What, what would you think those top reasons would be? And here are some that I've heard and that I've researched as well. The first one is I don't like the institutional church. It's kind of a rejection of style and tradition, perhaps, uh, of uh, what the people see as pomp and ceremony. I, I don't like the institutional church, or perhaps I couldn't find a church to meet my needs. And remember what I said last week about church isn't a shopping uh, market, a supermarket, where you can just run down and pick whatever you fancy off the aisles and leave the rest. You know, there's a, an all-in kind of mentality uh, to church, uh, not about meeting our needs. But some people have said, I've never felt connected or welcome. And, and I think that's a tragedy in church, if, that's, if that were true. To go somewhere where there is a collection of God's people and not feel at home with them, not feel welcomed by them, I think that, that would be a real tragedy. Uh, and the one that I hear probably the most is I've been hurt by or through church. Uh, and they normally attach to that things like there's too much hypocrisy, uh, perhaps there's a lot of quarrelling, there's a lot of division about things. Uh, and sometimes it's just about plain, mean-spirited people. And, and sometimes I know that you've met people that would say, I am a Christian, and yet they portray something of being the most miserable person that you've ever met. 
Or worse than just miserable, because there are people that are naturally like Eeyore. I'm not. I'm more naturally like Tigger. But, but there are people that are more naturally like Eeyore, and that's, that's okay. But worse than being kind of like a bit down on things and miserable is being mean-spirited, bitter, critical, harsh, loveless. And these are reasons that people would reject the church, not necessarily rejecting Christianity. And yet the local church is God's vehicle, literally his body, his hands and his feet. That is the church's role. It is the hope for a lost and dying and hopeless world. The local church is the hope. Boness's hope is Riverview Church. It is Old Kirk. It is the Salvation Army. It is Carradine. It is St. Andrews. It is the Barony. It is the Baptist Church. It is Craig Malin. The hope of the world is in the local church. And let me just say here, though, this is a message for another day, but I think it needs to be said just briefly. There is no effective discipleship outside of the church. Even with all the beneficial online resources, there are churches now that, that have an online church. It's not just, you know, for people that are fiddling around on YouTube and want to watch a, another message or like God TV. It's for people that want to say, that's my church. How can you be part of a church when you live in the UK and the church is in America? You're not part of that church. You might benefit from some of its teaching, but you're not part of that church. The local church is the hope for the local community. But also there's no effective discipleship outside of it. You need to be around people. You need to be around believers. And while it's possible to be a believer and not be part of a local church, it is possible There's no biblical headroom that advises or allows for solo Christianity. There's no mandate in scripture for I'm just going to go off in the corner and do things my way because I don't like the way the church does it. We're we're in this together like a marriage, kind of for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, in the good times and in the times where it feels like it's all falling apart. We are to be together, united We're meant to live together as a people in community, work together as a people in unity, without grumbling, with with Christ at the head of the church. So today in the second message, I want us to look at what it means to be co-laborers. Because we're in this together, and as I said last week, it's essential that we're pulling in the same direction, in unity. So please open your Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians 3. It will come up on the screen as well. Uh, And our main focus today is going to be on verse 9. Um, So 1 Corinthians 3, we'll be reading from the top, but verse 9 is our main focus. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field. You are God's building. We will be looking at the text around that. And while you're going there, how many of you have watched the... Apprentice. Just pop your hands up if you've watched The Apprentice, if you've seen that before. Fantastic. So, can you remember, you can call out this time if you want, you can, uh, can you remember any of the team names that the teams have chosen for themselves over the last few series, or the type of name? Unison, okay. Any others? 
Uh, I can't really think of any others off the top of my head. I've got Synergy. Synergy is a name that I've seen before. And, and the fun, funny thing about that is that these teams are the opposite of unison and synergy. They're, they're usually about tentative allegiances, quarrels and strife and discord and suspicion and betrayal. And we love it because <laughs> it makes great telly. Don't, if you watch The Apprentice, don't you love the moments where you're like, oh, it's so cringeable, I can hardly watch how they're behaving towards each other. And the truth is, I think it demonstrates something about the human condition, something of the human heart, when, uh, when the, the restraints upon ambition and upon, uh, upon self-promotion are removed. If it's all about me, that's, that's the goldfish bowl that you see watching that show, when it is all about me. You may hear them say things like, I'm not here to make friends. Or, I'm, in the be- I'm the best in the business. <laughs> and, and I don't need anybody else because I'm the best. I'm going to prove myself. I'm going to prove to them all that I'm the best. And I want to prove myself to Alan Sugar. And they form these alliances to benefit their own progression. There's no other purpose behind it. To try and impress Claude and Karen, perhaps in order to be the last person standing, and they'll step over each other. And in doing that, they'll step on each other to get over each other. And today we're going to look at something in the Bible that while not quite a first century version of The Apprentice, you see the same behaviours emerging. You see the same discords and quarrels and favouritisms coming out, happening in the church. And surprise, surprise... (laughs) Church isn't meant to be like that. Division and discord has entered the church in Corinth, and Paul hits it head on. He confronts the church, and in effect, I love this, in effect, what Paul says is, grow up. So let's read from verse 1. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. Grow up. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it, and indeed, you still are not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Notice he says what, and not who. What is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Now, the Corinthian church was messed up. It wasn't just messy church. Like, a lot of churches have messy church, and it's gunk-filled, and, you know, it's fun, and there's paint everywhere, and what have you. But the Corinthian church was messed up church. And actually, there's very few that aren't, if we're entirely honest And each of Paul's epistles, each of them, are aiming at some issue or another to do with the church. 
It's behaviors, it's, it's beliefs, it's practices. And notice that in every single one, Paul manages to say something positive to every church, but he also levels his guns at something that they need to sort out. Worldliness in the Corinthian church. And now there's a lot of things that I could draw out about worldliness in the Corinthian church here. Uh, we could talk about the abuses of the Lord's Supper. We could talk about the abuse of spiritual gifts, the lack of love that Paul had to confront, sexual immorality and deviance. And, and yes, this is the church. He's not talking about the Corinthian town. He's talking about the church, the people who belong to the way. But in this text today, he's taking aim at their worldliness, demonstrated through jealousy and quarreling and partisanship. And what I mean by that is showing favor or preference to one teacher or leader over another. Paul says that is wrong. In fact, he doesn't just say it's wrong. He says, if that's you, grow up. Then that's Paul. That's him putting it that way. And the thing is, they're meant to be laboring together for the gospel, for the kingdom, but instead, they're squabbling like children. Which leader they prefer? I'm with Paul. I'm a Paulist. I'm, I'm with Apollos. I'm an apologist. <laughs> I'm an apologist. A more recent example, slightly more recent, I follow Calvin. I follow Arminius. Or, if you're one of the um, Episcopalian church, maybe it's I'm a Justin Welbian, or a Rowan Williamsite, or if, you want, if you're apostolic, perhaps I'm a Warren Jonesian, and I love this one, perhaps a Tim Jacobite. <laughs> I'm a Workmanite. I'm a Burnsian. That works on two levels, because he is a Burnsian. <laughs> I'm a Burnsian. I, I'm a wattage. Who are Paul? Who are Apollos? They are just people doing the job that God has called them to do. Knowing that he is the one who really makes the difference. And some of our past great leaders and exemplars of the faith have gone. Maybe they've retired or maybe they've gone into glory. And there's no one else like them on earth. What on earth are we going to do? Billy Graham has gone. Who's going to fill his shoes? Listen, turn your attention to Jesus. He's still in the field. Well, what's the field? You're the field. He's still in the building. What's the building? You're the building. We're together as God's building. Living stones. Living stones. It's not about this brick and mortar here. It's about this brick and mortar. We together are God's field where he plants where he sows, where he grows fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We are the field, together, united, even amongst our differences. Beware of putting too much emphasis on ists and isms and Asians, the, the labels that we use to divide each other, the, the labels that separate us. I'm not talking about bedrock issues like the deity of Jesus you can't question that and still say that you're a Christian the theology of the Trinity or of atonement you, you can't touch those things and say that what I'm left with is still Christianity I'm not talking about the core beliefs 
And I'm not talking about the core beliefs even of our denomination, the apostolic church. But there are tertiary issues over which we divide. And, and please notice I said not too much attention. I'm not saying disregard altogether or be flippant with these things. We, we need to know our mind, we need to pursue God, and we need to be wise. But sometimes we take it too far, don't we? If you don't see things my way, if, if you don't agree with the way I do things, if you're not part of my denomination, or if you don't agree with me on this issue, then, well, you can't be a real Christian, so I'm not going to have fellowship with you. We've got to be careful of that, very careful. Is it wrong to favour a denomination? No. No, it's not, because you want to be part of something that sees things roughly the same way that you see them, that, that does things in a way that you find beneficial and, and helpful and points you towards Jesus. Of course, of course, it's not wrong. But you won't find a church or a denomination that you agree with 100%. You won't. It doesn't exist. Unless you just accept every doctrine without thinking about it or having a conviction. So we need to first pursue God and then find a denomination that fits where we're at with God. Is it wrong to have a spiritual, theological, doctrinal standpoint? Again, no. It's not wrong. In fact, absolutely it's not wrong. And I would say further than that, it's essential. Because if you don't stand somewhere, you'll fall everywhere. So work towards a place where you have understanding and where you have listened and followed conviction with humility and stand there, stand there. But don't dig in. Don't entrench yourself there. Don't write others off because they see something a different way or say something a different way. And let me just say this as an example, uh, because I, and this fits with the apostolic church as well, I am fully convinced by the doctrine of believer's baptism by full immersion. Absolutely fully convinced of that. I'm highly unlikely to move from that standpoint. But I don't write off Anglicans or Episcopalians or the Church of Scotland, because they practice infant baptism. I wouldn't dream of saying, well, they're clearly not believers because of that. Be careful. Is it wrong to favour a particular teacher? Not necessarily. I mean, I, I favour Tim Keller, the writer and preacher, and, and John Piper. And the reason I favour them is because I find that their styles connect with how my brain works. I find when I listen to them or when I read their work, it really helps me to see Jesus in a clearer way. That's a good reason to, to listen and follow uh, someone's teachings. But that wouldn't lead to my dismissal of another teacher. I wouldn't pitch the two of them against each other. I, I wouldn't say I'm a piperist or I'm a, uh, you know, subscribing to Kellerism. <laughs> like, just being careful around that. And Paul challenges followership that is not first and foremost following Christ. That's what he's really going for there. He's not saying some of you like Paul and some of you like Apollos. It's some of you are, are literally saying, well, I follow, this is, that's the guy, that's the model I'm following. And, and if you're following Apollos, you know, forget that, sack that. And Paul's challenging that because actually first and foremost we're supposed to follow Christ. And that is at the core of being biblically co-laboring. There's a, a Greek word there. 
Sunagos. It comes from the root, which is the word sunageo, uh, and it's from which we get the word synergy. That's the word that Paul uses talking about co-working, co-laboring with Christ. It means to work together, to cooperate. It, it carries colours of, of harmony, unity, clarity, common purpose, in it together. Calls for submission and for service to pull in the same direction, toward the same goal, toward the same purpose, the same achievement. It implies work. Doesn't it? Co-laboring, co-working, doesn't that imply work? In fact, it it more than just implies work, it it says that work is expected. That there's some form of labour that is expected of you as believers and of me. That there is something there in which we work with Christ. That we harmonise, if you like, with what God is doing and work with him on that and that we need to do that together. And as I said last week, church is not a spectator sport. It's, it's not like a ride that you strap into, uh, like a Thorpe Park or Alton Towers and like, wee, what fun this is. And then at the end of it, you unbuckle yourself and you're off and you do your own thing again. That's not church. It shouldn't come as a surprise to us that there's work to be done and that that's not optional as a believer. When, when I was at school, if I didn't want to do PE, now some of you are probably thinking about whatever you called it, PT, PE, whatever it was back then. Some of you are thinking back, oh, I know where, <laughs> how I avoided PE. So if I wanted to avoid PE, my easiest go-to thing was I forgot my inhaler. You can't make me run around, I'll die. <laughs> It's kind of how I put it to my, my PE staff, you know, if I fancied a day off. Or if I wanted to, I could hastily forge a note from my mum, and I got her signature down to a T. And I could hand it in Tom Stewell today, or uh, his PE kit's in the wash, or whatever, you know. I didn't really go for that one often, because they'd point you to a smelly bucket of dirty PE kit in the corner and say, pick out of that. It's horrendous. You know where I'm coming from with that, right? The, the kingdom, there, there are no sick notes. Some of the most amazing things I've seen God do are through people that are literally on their deathbed. Some of the most wonderful testimony of who God is I've seen as people are dying. A sick note, a sickness, whatever, does not exclude you from the mandate of God to be co-laborers. And you can't send in a note to say that you forgot your PE kit. Or, you know, somebody else can do it today. We're co-laboring in this. There is no solo here. And in fact, Jesus tells us to put our hand to the plough and not even look back. Still another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Sounds like a reasonable request. Jesus replies, no one who puts their hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. You've got to be all in. You've got to be all in. Why? You're not going to benefit from the abundant life that Jesus has promised us if you're half-hearted in faith. Don't get me wrong. I have energy. But there are days where I wake up in the morning and I just want to stay in my dressing gown, not bother doing anything. Just want to watch movies or whatever. I'm not criticising that 
because we're all the same there. But the heart of my life is I want to serve you, God, and I want to serve with the people who are around me as well. As believers, it should be a joy. It should be the, the desire of our hearts to focus our lives upon him and put our hands to the plough. And we're called to do this together in unity, in harmony, as a team. Now, Abby and Andrew and Jessica gave me a nickname, and I don't like it. And I can't believe I'm going to tell you it, but none of them are here today, so it's all right, I can make up and you don't, you're just going to believe me, whatever I say. Actually, they called me Dragon Boy, which I know, like where, I mean, I was called Wingnut at school because of my ears, but, but Dragon Boy, where's that come from? Well, you remember the Beast from the East? Uh, a couple of years ago, and, and, and I was, I'd just come into Bowness at the time, and the snow was just piled up everywhere, and we went over onto the field here outside the uh, town hall, and we built a giant snowman. Although, I say we, Abby, Jess, and Andrew built a giant snowman. I got a bit bored because my snowball, as I was rolling it, was taking too long to become a head or a body or whatever. So I got bored of it, and I went into the corner, and I made a little dragon <laughs> out of the snow, just... Fancy making a dragon. So from then on, I've been called Dragon Boy. And what they mean is Tom's just, you know, he's just going to go off and do his own little thing in the corner and, and what have you. You know, that's, that's not a way that we can be in the kingdom. There shouldn't be any Dragon Boys in the kingdom because we're meant to be pulling together in the same direction, co-working. So we need to work together knowing that together we are working with him. A yoke to him. And I'm going to bring this in now. A yoke was like a bar made out of wood that, that rested, I guess, upon the neck and shoulders of an oxen. Uh, and it was designed so that they would pull something together in tandem, in unity. It, it added efficiency to the plough or the cart or whatever it was that was being pulled. It doubled the strength because the two were doing it together. One of them could be slightly weaker, the other one could be stronger, but, but together, because of the yoke, they would pull the same, uh, and it would be a fair load. It makes sense to do that. Uh, and when I was younger, I worked for a time as a, as a funeral director, and, and in England, we, uh, I think they still do, carried the coffin always on their shoulders. And I'm only a short guy, and I'm not a particularly tough guy. And my first time I had to go and, and carry a coffin into a funeral, I was worried that the weight of it would be unbearable. But you know what? The three other guys carrying share the load in such a way that the weight isn't unbearable. And on one occasion, there was a problem, and I almost lost consciousness because of the way uh, something moved and, and hit my neck. And, and I had to come out. And the guys, they covered for me by one of them just moving forward and taking the load, taking the strain for me. And Jesus says that we are yoked with him and that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. If you imagine Ian and I were stood here, if you could just stand a second, Ian. Imagine that our arms, grab, grab my arm there, mate, and hold tight. Imagine that this is the yoke that is binding us together. Now, if we're pulling in the same direction, Ian and I have got great strength now because he's got all of my strength to help his. <laughs> <laughs> but if Ian starts to try and pull over there, everything's off balance. 
Or if Ian starts to go backwards and I go forwards, again, it becomes a heavy strain. Thanks, mate. The reason Jesus uses the example of a yoke is because he wants us to know that we're supposed to pull in the same direction as him, first and foremost. That when we're co-laboring, we're co-laboring with Christ, which means we are yoked with him. And we're yoked with each other as well. And you know, the most difficult thing in church is where we're all trying to shoot off in different directions. Because the yoke loses its effectiveness in that circumstance. We need to pull together in the same direction. And whose lead are we going to follow? Well, it's not mine. It's the Lord's. Now, I have responsibility before the Lord and with the senior leadership team to discern what that direction is that God is calling us into. But it's his direction that we're seeking. It's his pull that we're looking to follow. Often the burden on the ox was so heavy on one of them that it it would stumble. And the purpose of the yoke was to make sure that the other one supported it. So even if you stumble, even if you do trip over, even if you do grow weak, the people around you are there to pull with you and to keep you upright, to keep you going. But Jesus does more. He shares the load, but not as an equal partner. But he takes the full weight of our stumbling, of our sin, of our shame. Takes the whole burden. Takes the whole thing. In in effect, what I'm seeing in my head is 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 a very strong person with a yoke across their shoulders. And I can hang off of that and just be carried by it. Because the strength of the one who is leading the way is so great that when he calls me to co-labor, it's easy. What is the yoke that Jesus carries for you and for me? It's the cross. It is the crossbar of the yoke. He takes the weight of our sin, the weight of our death, the weight of God's wrath levied against us because of our sin and our shame. And he does this for us. And let me ask you this, as I ask Ian if you could come back up. Yes, the church can be a really hurtful place. And it is inevitable because it's full of people. And we're messed up. And we mess up. And we make mistakes. And we do say things without thinking. And we do hurt each other. But we're meant to pull in the same direction and when we do that we find that church isn't as hurtful it's a joyful place, it's a place of healing it's a place of care of love a place where you can't fall through the cracks and not be noticed if Jesus does all of that for us, how can we not bear with one another in love let's aim to co-labour with each other, with Christ pulling in the same direction where he leads preferring each other's needs to our own And however this church moves forward and and whatever changes occur, whatever apparatus or style that we employ as we move forward, our overall desire, and I want you to hear this, our overall desire, our passion, our intention is to be led by him in obedience to him, to be yoked with him together as a church. So Lord, we ask now 
that you would help us to embrace each other as brothers and sisters, to love each other deeply, to cover each other's shame, to bring a word of encouragement before we would bring a word of critique. Lord, to look to uh, spur one another on in works of love and faith. And Lord, when we do need correction, when we do need redirection, which occurs and we need it, God, we need accountability. We need somebody that's going to be willing to say, you're not doing that quite right. But God, let it come from a place of love. Let it come from a place of being yoked together in the same yoke that Christ is pulling. Help us, Lord Jesus. As we reflect now, Lord, help us in Jesus' name. Amen.